0: Imagine we put that in, and then someone could tell what his number was based on the tone. Hello? Hey, what's up? Hey, can you hear me or no? Yeah, yeah, that's better. Is this audio okay or no? It's a little sketchy. Is there like a home line we can call you on or something like that? No. Nobody's got home lines anymore. A that's landline? A good, that's Are you in a, an no, office? No, no, it's true. No one has it. He doesn't an office. I don't know. The guy won't even officially retire. He doesn't have an office. <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't have an office, and I and Katie says that I need one, and I'm like,
0: "Fucking right, I do need one <laughs> for these right. reasons." Let's get an office. Is! Let's go! Let's go! Let's get it good!
1: This is the Canucks Pod with
2: R. Shah and Alex All. Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod on Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shah with Alex Alden. and Aldi is actually in Italy right now. But don't worry, this isn't just an episode where I talk by myself for 45 minutes. We actually had a chance just before Alex jumped on a plane to go to Italy to catch up with Kevin Bieksa, one of your all-time favorite Canucks. And here's our conversation with Kevin Bieksa. Kevin Bieksa joins us now on the Canucks pod and former teammate of Alex Ald and Alex, you and Bieksa go way back coming into the National Hockey League
0: together to some degree. That's right. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, buddy. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Yeah, Uh, good to be back. I've been on this show before, haven't I?
0: Well, you were on last year when it was Canucks Central, but now it is the Canucks pod. This is the podcast edition. nobody, Nobody listened last year, right? Now we got tons of viewers. That's right. So uh, I thought you were going to say, no one listens to podcasts. And I'm like, wait, you have a podcast of your own. So how's that going? No one listens to that that either? (laughs) How's it going? How's the podcast life?
1: The podcast life is, uh, you know, I, I don't listen to podcasts myself personally, but apparently a lot of people do. And it's interesting because... We kind of started this, Ryan Kessler and I, kind of based on demand. People are, you know, kind of throwing comments around. You should, you should try your having your own podcast. You, should, you, got, you guys got a lot to say. It'd be interesting. So, you know, it's, it's a learning process. So we're, we're kind of six episodes in right now and, and still trying to figure out some of the kinks. But uh, it's definitely a cool platform to have to be able to talk about some of the things that you want to talk about and share some of your views, you know, hockey-related and, and off the ice, you know, in the real world. So, it's been interesting so far. Maybe we can reciprocate and have you on our show. One
0: time. Oh, that would be great. I'd love to. Uh... Oh, you were talking to Sat. No, 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 no. no? Stop, okay. def- yeah. Definitely
2: talking about you all.
0: No, I'd love to. I'd no, love I'm to talking come on. To Sat. Oh, okay. All right, whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm sure. But you know, the Kess and Juice podcast has been doing really well. I know it tops the to charts all the time, and I know a lot of hockey fans in general like the pod. But a lot of Canucks fans have really found a lot of value in it because you guys have delved into some stories of past years. And you know, when you're playing in that team environment, I know a lot of players don't want to tell what's happening kind of behind the scenes, but has it been fun revisiting some of those stories from years past in Vancouver?
1: Yeah, it has for sure. And obviously the, the Vancouver market is kind of one of our demographics because Kess and I played there each for 10 plus years. We we grew up there. We had our families there. And when you're playing in that market, you have to be a little bit guarded with the media, right? Like you have to keep a lot of stuff to yourself and you don't want to put too much out there because you're in the spotlight as it is. So, now that I'm at a point where, although I'll be kind of said, joked around, I'm not retired, I, I'm retired basically, right? I haven't announced it on Instagram or Twitter like all these other guys do, but uh, now that I'm removed from the game kind of a year now, year and a half, uh, I can talk about these stories more openly. And, and our first two guests were, were Todd Bertuzzi and Alex Burroughs, two guys that I shared a lot of time and a lot of stories with. And it's it's super fun to be able to reminisce and tell some of these stories. You know, some of the stories in the hotels and in the dressing room, and you know when Todd Bertuzzi and Tyler Belk wrestled on the couch until three in the morning, you when know, their <laughs> suits bleeding everywhere. Like those stories are fun to tell now because you can't talk about those when you're when you're in the midst of of a career. So uh, I think people can expect more of that stuff, and that and that's fun to to relive.
0: Remember, like remember, sometimes we'd get back on the plane late at night, and then I feel like it was Bert and Kluch would go at it. Like everyone would be just tired like three in the morning and all of a sudden they 'd be full on wrestling in the aisle of the plane as we 're trying to get off and like customs is on the plane trying to take our little pieces of paper and these guys are just going at it brawling like i yeah, I remember that bowker and and uh, bertuzzi fought the fight as well <laughs> those things are they are funny to talk about. do you think that the game has like do you think guys are more open now or are they even more guarded like i think there's sur- sort of a transparency with social media, but that's even a lot of guys are, are smart about it, and it's almost marketing in a way. It's PR, but do you think players are more guarded now or they're, they're more open because of social media?
1: Well, there's definitely more access to the players now, but I think they are they are guarded. I, well, you you know the meetings you have at the start of the season when the security guy from the NHL comes in and beats with every team, yep. and like on the agenda now is social media. So he warns you about you know, all the dangers of like drinking and drugs and all that. But now they talk a lot about social media and like, Oh, once it's out there, it's out there and it can't be erased. And, and that's like the main topic mostly in those security meetings. So it's, it's something that they make the players aware of. And especially if you're playing in a Canadian market where you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of of followers, you, you have to be careful what you put on social media. So I feel like the guys are guarded and they only put like the cool stuff on or, or they put promo po- uh, posts, you know, posts that are, you know, advertising a company or something, something that they're kind of forced to do. Right? Like how many players really, besides maybe PK Subban, have like an account where they put what they want and they really show who they are? Like there, there isn't many. But back, back in the old days, you didn't have to worry about any of your personal life leaking. So a lot, of, a lot of those the shit that happened on. Play- Sorry, I can't say that.
0: No, My we're podcast. We're a podcast. It's, it's right? okay. Yeah, we're all right. Let it rip. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But we'll just edit it out the, when it goes on radio. Back in, <laughs> a lot of the stuff back in the day, like those fights on the plane. And I think I remember one time Kloosh, like jumping on someone's car at like a team party at Jovo's house at a <laughs> Christmas party. And they were trying to drive away, and Kluge jumped on the hood and was jumping up and down on and He was like, get the heck off my car. And like funny stuff like that. That used to happen because nobody could record it with their phone. So like there was more... Uh, interactions like that that were that are make great for great stories now.
0: So the game the game was better back then. The game was better because there was no public record of events. You no know, it's you're absolutely right. I mean it's it's crazy. I think about it like when I went away from home. It's like I went to junior in 97 and like no one on the team had phones. I remember my last year of junior hockey, I had a cell phone and I felt like I needed to like almost hide it from the coach. Like I'm on the I'm on the bus and and it's the complete opposite now. It's like these guys have their phones everywhere and it's there's this constant contact, like you said, and and with that, uh you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the meetings with the NHL security and talking about you know being being safe in that online platform, that online environment, it's it's really important, not just for, for young hockey players, but but kids. I mean, I know you you've got two kids as well, Kevin. Like it's it's something that these these young people are growing up with. It's a completely different world, not just in the in the hockey life, but also in in society, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It's something that's, you, you're right, the, every, the world's evolved, right? So phones are and social media are a part of our, our world now, like like it or not. So you know what's funny, though, is guys guys check their phones in between periods. Oh. So like my last couple of years in the league, I was am- amazed where in between periods, Guys would leave the locker room and, like, you get off your the top part of your gear when you come out of the dress room. And, and usually the coach doesn't come in till, like, six minutes left in the period. So you got about 10, 15 minutes yeah. there. And some guys will go in the gym. Some guys will go to the trainer's room, whatever, right? and Backup like, goalies
0: just, go uh, go right. stuff a bagel in their mouth. Not that I ever did that. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, you, in, in Anaheim, they would go hide in the gym and they would eat some food, like, yeah. you know, something, right? Because <laughs> you, when you're not playing, oh, you're, you're starving. starving right? yeah. You're just sitting there so so i would always go to the lounge in, in anaheim and even in vancouver because i didn't like sitting at my stall and i was amazed how many guys would leave the dressing room and they kind of like sheepishly go into the change room where the clothes were and they would check their phones and then, you know they check their texts and they text maybe their wife or maybe they text the buddy in between periods so now like i actually text guys if i'm ever watching a game on tv and i see something from a buddy i'll text them sometimes and sometimes those guys will get back to me mid game like in between periods. It's unbelievable how phones is just an it's an extension of you now, right? Like you're always accessible.
0: Absolutely. So, well, except you, you never return your texts, but I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> something about me. <laughs> that's a you thing maybe all the yeah. No, so I mean, I know you had Torts here in Vancouver. Did you guys have a lockbox with John Tortorella on your phones? Cuz cuz in New York did. we did. Forgetable.
1: Well, we didn't have a lockbox, but forget about phones. Like Torrance hated email. He oh, just yeah. hated the World Wide Web. So he, for training camp, <laughs> he said, "I'm not sending out emails to all you guys because I hate email. I, w- I like hard copies." So what he did is, uh, a lot of the young guys would stay at the Westin Bayshore Hotel, and obviously, all the older guys, like we'd stay at our own houses and, and apartments. So he would post <laughs> a, a hard copy piece of paper at the hotel for the schedule for the next day for training camp. So. I lived in Cole Harbor at the time. I, w- I would walk over to the hotel. I would take a picture with my camera phone, and then I would text it to the twins and Cass and Burr and, and all the older guys because Torch didn't like email. So he's, he's a little bit of a dinosaur in that sense, but that was how long? That was like five years ago. I'm, I'm hoping that he's changed by then, and those Columbus guys aren't freaking driving around looking for hard copies.
0: <laughs> it's like Yeah, seriously, it's like a scavenger hunt to find out what time you got to be at the rink tomorrow. But like, So when I went to New York, you show up for game time, there was the trainers in the in the equipment room. They had a basically like a custom-made toolbox with slots for everyone's phone and your number. And you had to walk in and you slid your phone in this thing and then it got locked all game long. And the reason was a former teammate of mine was was checking his phone between periods. <laughs> and so, and Torts walked in and yeah. saw Avery doing that and was like, no, we're not doing this here. And so they, they had like complete lockdown. And I remember I showed up there. I mean, I'd... I've been on a lot of teams at that point, and a lot of coaches i'm like now I feel like I've seen everything, but it, it's it's crazy so i was I was actually just popped into my head, I wondered if he brought that here, but uh, I guess not, but he's old school, that's for sure well. No, yeah, we didn't have that, but I think when you have a guy like Sean Avery on your team, you have to make up a lot of new rules.
1: He was was a special, special personality, wasn't he? Yeah, (laughs)
0: make up a lot of new rules. Sorry, the one time I remember
1: playing against him at MSG, and I lined up against him, and I said, uh, I go, hey, you want to go? And he looks at me, and he goes, "That's off. (laughs) And I go, hey, like, you don't have to swear at me. Like, I'm just asking you a question. If you don't want to fight, that's cool. Like, I'm not going to chase you around or anything. I'm just asking you if you want to go. I'm just looking for, and he goes, oh, yeah. Okay, if you put it out, he goes, so what are you guys doing after the game? you guys going out? (laughs) He turned into, like, an instant friend, and I'm like, Nah, we're leaving after the game. He goes, oh, yeah, you saw my buddy a couple weeks ago. Good job there. Like, we had, like, a nice cordial conversation after, after I asked him to fight, and he said no.
0: This is on the ice.
1: This was on the ice in their zone in <laughs> and, and the first period. Want to go? F you. And then I'm like, hey, man, like, don't be so mean. And then we going <laughs> to be
0: kind of buddies for,
1: for five minutes there.
0: Well, it's, it's, uh, that's pretty funny. And, and so you're talking about making new rules. And we all know that the Sean Avery rule, right? Remember in the playoffs, he's like turning around and screening Marty Brodeur. And so oh, yeah. this is a tie-in to, I know you're, you're coaching uh, your son Cole and his minor hockey as well. Last night, I'm at a, we're at a minor hockey game. And the referee comes over to us and is like, um, your, your one player there can't look back at the goalie to screen them and mirror their movements. And we're like, what? And then she's like, yeah, the the Sean Avery rule. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh. Like in my, the, the, the player can't look behind them to see where the, like, and that just popped in my head too because I'm like, I was kind of laughing on the bench about that. I'm like, I've never heard of that other than Avery was, took it over the top, but you can't even know where the goalie is behind you. So... I don't know. I thought that was kind of a, a weird thing, but that's that's refereeing at Burnby Winter Club, I guess. I don't know.
1: Uh- I feel like he was uh, like that was because he had that few going with Brodor, but yeah. like, why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Like, you're just exposing the whole back of your body to get hit with a shot. Like, it couldn't you couldn't be more danger in a more dangerous situation. But he hated Brodor so much he didn't even care if he got hit in the back of the leg. He just wanted to piss him off.
2: Now you know it was interesting. You you kind of talk about the social media age and how things get taken out of context. You got to be careful. And then I was listening to the, the last episode of the Kess and Juice podcast, and you guys were talking about how the media at times can just be overly negative they always look for negative storylines and when things are going well at some point they maybe feel the need of you know forcing a negative storyline because you can't just be positive all the time and you talked about how even as a veteran player there are times you battle confidence and you would have to call whether it's somebody in your family or former players you play with or friends from way back in the day that would always kind of talk you up how hard is it for a young player to navigate that confidence at the national hockey league level even when you are a good player and having success
1: well, I think to, to make it and to make it long term and to be a really good player, you have to have emotional intelligence. And I think it more than being physically capable to play in the NHL and in a Canadian market, you have to be emotionally mature enough and uh, capable enough to deal with that kind of stuff. If you're playing in a Canadian market like Vancouver, like Toronto, like Montreal, you're going to at some point read or hear negative stuff about you. Right. And it's your job it's your job to filter that in and out and, and, and keep your confidence because we all know everyone who's ever played the game knows the best hockey you ever played in your career at any point, whenever it was, was when you had full confidence and you just thought you could do anything out there. And if you're a goalie, you thought no no pucks are going in on me. I just feel unbelievable. Your confidence is at an all-time high.
0: And it's your job
1: to keep your confidence throughout the year. Right. Torts used to say, going back to Torres, he used to say I don't have any confidence in my pocket. I can't give it to you. I, I don't know how to give you confidence. Like, that, that's, a, that's an internal thing that every guy has to – like, they, it's a struggle, right? Because confidence, I think, comes from, you know, doing the right thing over and over again and making plays and, and making good decisions, right? And it, when you're turning the puck over and you're not making good decisions, you, you lose your confidence. And you have to you know the guys that you know those guys on the ice that they turn the puck over and they don't even care and then they go back the next uh, shift and make a great play. Like you have to have a little bit of that element to survive in a Canadian market. So the media certainly didn't make it any easy on easier on guys. You know, (laughs) sometimes you need a pat on the back, and you need, you know, a great job. You're a great player. Forget about you know how your last little stretch is going. That helps you get through that a little easier.
0: Well, that's interesting. Like you mentioned the confidence. The I, I know exactly what you mean. Those those really highly skilled players who they just. They don't seem to care, but in a good way, like because it can just roll off their back. What do you what do you think comes first though? Is it is that confidence there because they have the skill and they have, you know, obviously that execution, but also the trust of the coach? And it's like they're put in a separate category that it's okay for them to make those mistakes, or is it the opposite that they're in that position because of the fact that like I, I always find that interesting, especially when dealing with kids how do you instill that confidence in them or, or help nurture that in them? Like you're right. Like the coach can't just give it to a player, but you can help them in terms of developing it. What do you, what do you think comes first there?
1: Well, I think you, you got to make the right play over and over and over again before you can get that long leash. And I, you know, I know what you're saying is, is your skill guys and your high end guys, they get a longer leash. They're allowed yep. to maybe make a mistake here and there because you know, they're creating so much for your team, but I always tell, especially my defensemen, I say, make the right play, like especially at the start of the game, three, four, five, six times in a row, get the puck, snap it to your first option on the tape, and that'll grow and you'll grow some confidence. And then after you do that consistently, then maybe you can look a guy off. Maybe you can look to pass it and and, and, and maybe beat that first four checker, right? But make the right play over and over and over again, and that breeds confidence. And then the more you do that, then you're building confidence in your coaching staff. Now your coach trusts you no matter what. I remember Mark Crawford used to tell me uh, back in my first year, he said when he coached, because I remember I used to, you know, especially when I was earlier in my career, I used to show my emotion too much. So if I made a bad play my first year, I would come off and I was pissed at myself and you could see it. And Mark Crawford pulled me aside and he goes, you know what? Mark Messier, when he played in Vancouver, he's like, he made more mistakes than anybody on the ice. But when he skated off the ice, he skated off with his chest puffed out, his chin up in the air, and he just, like, exuded confidence. And he's like, I don't give a crap what I just did. I'm an awesome player, and I'm going to make a great play next shift. And he's like, you've got to have more of that mentality. You have to have more of that swagger that even when you make a mistake, you know, you're good enough and next shift you're going to play you're going to play good and you're going to make that play the next time so it's I, crow i always
0: remember that when he told me that it's crow's fault you're so cocky, <laughs> <laughs> well, I cocky I'm, but, I'm kidding uh, no you're you're absolutely right like it's well the, the other thing i i thought where i thought this was going to go because i i see this a lot too is yeah coaches see most things and especially after the fact in in video you're going to see everything but Sometimes players almost draw attention to themselves. Like most of the people in the rank didn't even realize the mistake, and especially mm-hmm. some of the smaller mistakes that some guys make. And all of a sudden you're banging your stick and you're all mad. They're like, oh, we better go look and see what he did there. Like I just, I, I that confidence piece is 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 so crucial. Um, you're absolutely right. You play your best when you're confident, when you're feeling good about yourself. Uh, the, the good repetition, getting the, uh, you know, doing the right thing over and over again. It, it's such an important part of it. The question I have for you, and this kind of circles back to Canadian market, social media. Did you actively avoid the negativity or the negative criticism, whether it's mentions on Twitter or like the reading the newspaper early on? Or did you just say, "Okay, this is going to come at me and I've just got to filter it out? And do you see that as a big distraction for a lot of young players that they're reading their mentions? They're reading all this negativity. And that's what Twitter inherently is, this negative space. So much of what's being said out there really drains you. Did, did you actively avoid that?
1: I I started out uh, as a young player in a Canadian market, reading a lot about you know, a lot of the articles and stuff. It was more articles back then, right? Yeah, But yeah. it wasn't as, as prevalent. So it was more articles. And it's like the old philosophy, like what the Sadines you know, lived their life by, like even keel, not too high, not too low. So you play a great game in the Canadian market or even in the NHL, and you want to read all the people that just pump in your tires like wow he's so good wow he's the next best thing wow he's awesome it feels good right it's human nature it feels good for anybody but then on the flip side when you play bad and then you're reading these articles and now they say you're the worst player ever and you're you're terrible and you're overpaid and so you can't get too high when you're playing good and you're reading all these unbelievable articles about yourself and then when the negative stuff starts coming, and and it will for everybody. Nobody plays perfect every game. You can't take that so hard. So you almost got. If you can't handle that, and you can't handle the negative publicity, then you probably shouldn't read it. Some guys I know read it, read everything, and um, I think it affected them a lot. I know a goalie who read a lot of it, and I don't think he really enjoyed the negative stuff, and it affected him. And we used to always say, stop reading that stuff. Like, you don't need to read it. Who cares? Most of the time, the people that are writing the comments, like if you want to go to Twitter, like, think about the people that are, they don't put their name on it. You don't know who they are. They're sitting in their basement. And it's fun just to chirp somebody on Twitter. Like, oh, this guy's terrible. Like, it's just fun just to sit at home and laugh and do it in your basement. And that, that, that kind of person and that person making that remark, that shouldn't cut too deep. If you put it into context, that shouldn't cut too deep. So sometimes, like I would read that stuff for entertainment, and I would laugh. And earlier on, when I first started, uh, you know, on Twitter, because I remember Kess told me to to start, you know, get on Twitter, get on Twitter. So I got on Twitter, and I remember I blocked so many people early on, and I have never blocked a person in the last 10, 5, 10 years. But I, I thought it was hilarious because I would read something negative about me, and then I would laugh, and then I would block the person. And I, I would hear about people in the media like, oh, you're blocking all these people and they're mad and everything. And I'm like, well, tough luck. You know, I can do whatever I want. I just, I was having fun with all these people blocking them. But that's that's social media, right? You have to learn how to handle it. And if you you can't, then stay away from it.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. And what, what I was going to say was, I remember early on, and you talk about it, like you're young, all of a sudden you're getting some some publicity. You come to a big city like Vancouver and you're staying in a hotel. And what does a what does a hotel do? Well, every every morning you got a newspaper at your front door, right? And so I would grab the paper and bring it into the rink and 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 read it there or like have it there and just leave it around. And then finally like one of the I don't even remember who it was, was one of the older guys, like, yeah, do you notice how like that's the only paper in the room? Like That's the only one that's brought in there, and you're bringing it every day. Like we don't, we don't need that here. And I'm like, oh that's interesting. Like I was just happy because my picture was in the paper one day, right? Like, and 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 you're, yeah. You start off, you're doing well, and and you're right. You get kind of sucked into that trap of oh, some people are saying some nice things, but then you've also gotta, you gotta look at it that if you're gonna believe that, it's okay to pump your confidence a bit, but then you can't take it too seriously because then the negative stuff you got to filter and. And I, I like your point about, and this is something I remember from a long time ago. My dad always told me is like consider the source. Like who who is saying this about you? If it's like you said, some some uh Twitter troll just sitting there chirping someone for fun, trying to get a rise out of you. Well, that could affect your career and affect your your livelihood and your family. Like you've gotta gotta block that out. It it's uh it's so important to to find a way to just kind of eliminate that. And and it is it is one of the harder things about being an athlete that that mental strength, I like your your emotional awareness, like being able to block out all the noise, all that extra stuff, and really just focus on what you can control and your preparation and, and coming in and showing up and, and doing your best every day. Because it's that's 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 a hard thing to learn because there's a lot of guys with a ton of skill, wouldn't you say, but then just can't figure that piece out. Wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Yeah, for sure. In the K market. It's funny the power of that Ian McIntyre has and Tony Gallagher had and those guys, right? Because they do affect guys' confidence more than, than they probably even think. So uh, it, it comes with the territory. It's, there's the good parts of playing in a Canadian market, and then there's the bad. And the bad is you, can't get, you don't get any nights off. You're always a target. And then the good is when you go to the Stanley Cup Finals and you score a goal in double overtime, you're the hero of the city right mm. so you take the you take the good with
2: the bad well and discipline is such a big part of it right because I, it's a cliche when people say hey a player is trying to do too much but you can see it sometimes when a player is struggling trying to take on two or three players at the same time and then it snowballs right because if you fail to do that the first time the second time does it go your way and next thing you know you're out of confidence on the ice
1: yeah and then people are talking about it too and then you got to read about it and then you got to hear it and you know what i
2: there's a lot of coaches that
1: claim they don't read the papers and read the articles, but I, I don't know. I think I might call uh, bullcrap on that. I think the coaches read the articles too, and I think, same thing, like Alex said, he grabs the paper and you read the back page in the Vancouver Sun, or or used to be the province where all the hockey articles were, the Canucks section, like the last two, three, four yep. pages, and they read it while they're in their office. They're there early, and they're watching film, and, and then they start to read. Now, all of a sudden, you know, most of the time they're probably saying, okay, whatever, that's not going to impact the way I think, but sometimes maybe they're like oh crap like this guy isn't playing good like first turning the puck over a lot lately yeah maybe i'll take him off the twins line for a game and teach him a lesson so you never know how much like the media impacts coaches decisions either right and it all filters back to the player and confidence right how much is, do you, you can't let that stuff affect your confidence
0: right. you know what
1: so look at your look at your guy in vancouver Pedersen. the kid just Oozes confidence, right? And and from my conversations with him, I've spoke with him a couple times. He's just got such a cool personality where he just seems like okay with himself and confident with himself. And I feel like he's so successful, and I don't feel like any negative media is going to really bother this kid. He just seems in a world of his own that way, which is such a good thing to have in Vancouver.
0: Well, he's he's yeah, he's he's a special player, and and I get that sense from him as well. That like it's. That stuff's not going to affect him it 's not going to bother him uh, back to your point about the coaches like i coaches for the most part they're control freaks right like i I think they want to know everything for the most part that's being said about them, about their team, about their players. they want to understand what may be affecting some of the players, what the outside influences are a hundred percent those guys are reading it, and if they're saying they're not it 's almost propaganda it 's like marketing in a way that like hey, I'm, I'm not reading this just so it's almost like they can put this guard up. But they'll, you know, those guys are in there reading this stuff. They they want to know everything. And they also want to know the, you can tell in, in the last couple of years, like doing, uh, working the post-game show and listening a lot to Travis Green, for instance, in his press conferences, you can tell that he's got a pulse on the different writers, who's writing what, just by his tone and the way he answers their questions. Like to me, it's pretty obvious. He's pretty in tune with what's going on. And I, I think that's part of being a coach now in the National Hockey League that you have to be dialed in on that stuff because it's it's part of the holistic approach to it all. Yeah, it may not affect the X's and O's, and or maybe it does, like you said, like maybe they they switch their ice time. Or the flip side is maybe they don't make a change. Like I I bet you there's some writers that bring something up to a coach, whether it's like oh change a power play format, and a, there's some coaches that oh I don't like that writer and it's his idea I can't do this now. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I can't prove this. I can't prove Sat Shaw right that he's right that so and so should be doing this or in this spot on the power play. Like I've got to almost stick to my guns now for a couple of games. It, like I don't know. Do you think that some guys are that hard headed?
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's the game within the game, right? Yeah. It's funny when you go, you leave a Canadian market, and you go down down south, you come to Anaheim, you don't have to worry about justifying yourself to any writer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do whatever the heck you want, right? And it's a, it's a whole different. Uh, Level down here, right? So, which is part of the reason why I think you see, well, you haven't seen a Canadian team win a Stanley Cup in the last twenty-five years, right? Because these American teams are able to go through these times in their season when their guys aren't playing their best, and they can work through their own problems on their own without having to battle them, themselves and the media at the same time, right? So, you see, St. Louis. St. Louis was last place in the league last year. I was meeting David per- uh sorry, I met David Peron for lunch. Just before New Year's Eve, and they were in last place in the NHL at the time. He was out with a concussion, but he was close to coming back. And he's like, "We're terrible." Like, Craig Berube's threatened to send a whole bunch of guys down to the minors, like like veteran guys on one one way deals. And it was just it was chaos, right? And you can imagine if that was a Canadian city like Montreal or Toronto, or Vancouver, like it'd be everywhere in the media, right? And these guys, you know, found their game and they strung together a couple wins because. They were able to, able to deal with it themselves, and they go on, they win the Stanley Cup. So does that happen in Canada? It's a lot tougher.
2: Well, one thing it was interesting that you and Kess on the, uh, the Kess and Juice podcast brought up on Friday was what happened in the Heritage Classic, of course, with Luongo not getting the start, which led to him getting traded. And you talked about how it wasn't just Torts' decision. I mean, Sullivan was on board. Roley, the goalie coach at the time was on board. It was a coaching staff decision. How often do you think coaches outthink themselves as opposed to doing maybe what's best for the team? And you're thinking you're doing the right thing. But next thing you know, it leads to a player wanting to leave the organization and everything snowballs.
1: I think coaches are trying to make the right decision, but it's just tough to know, you know, hindsight's 20, 20. So like when you're in the moment, who knows at that time, what the right decision is. But I remember when Willie Desjardins came in, he said, and maybe this had something to do in his, with his meetings with ownership before he was hired. But I remember him saying to the twins and I in a leadership group meeting, you know what, like, I'm going to do what's best for this team. And sometimes, you know, Doing doing this move or playing this young guy is is, is not the best thing for the team like long term. Maybe it's playing that veteran guy who you know the guys really respect in the room. Like he said, he made some mention along those lines, and it made me really think. Oh my god, this is going back to the Luongo thing, right? Like, yeah, maybe short term uh, Eddie Lack gave us the best chance to win that one particular game in January of 2014, I think it was. But long term, <laughs> you just lost a Hall of Fame goaltender and. I don't think the team has ever had a chance ever since Longo left, right? Like you can't win in this league, especially in the West, without a, a premier goalie. Or sometimes you need two now. So yeah, like that was that was not a very good decision looking back. But I think they tried they tried to make the right decision because their heads on the line, right? So you gotta live and die by the sword. And, and I respect coaches that make the decisions and, and then they live with the consequence. Torchy always say that if I'm going down, I'm going down my way, which is the way it should be as coaches.
0: Well, I, I agree with that. I mean, like you said, you can look back and say, "Hey, it's it's the wrong choice." But there's there's a certain level of uh, respect in a way that it it wasn't the easy or popular choice. It was what they believed was right. You can you can argue it was wrong for sure, but I, I agree. Like it, it's it's funny. Like there is so much. I only had John Tortorella for like a couple months, and. I haven't seen him much. Uh, I saw him once or twice while he was coaching the Canucks, but there are a lot of things that I remember. He had some powerful messages in the locker room in terms of the way he addressed the players and and all those sorts of things, like the, that accountability going down with your decisions. Like I think that's that's something at least on that one hand. I mean, he was he was obviously colorful in terms of being a good quote, um, somebody who was was fun to cover for the from the media point of view, but also like as a player. He seemed up front. He seemed honest with what he was saying. And that one obviously came back to to sort of bite him in the butt. But it was, uh, I agree. I mean, what you wonder what could have been if, if Luongo never would have left. Then at the same time, the way Jacob Markstrom is playing now and you see the goal that he is playing for the Canucks and, and he's part of that trade as well. So there's so many facets to it all. But at the time, I think, you know, for me, I, I say like just out of respect for what Luongo had done to play in that sort of environment that seems to have been the right decision but hey you got to live with the consequences and those guys are are gone from here they're doing other things they're all, they're having some success in other markets but they're not with the with the Canucks anymore um and Torts Torts landed on his feet too absolutely
1: right? he he had the, the five-year deal fired after the first year with with Van and then landed on his feet and you either I think you either love Torts or you hate torts. and I'm I'm a guy who loves Torts, right I still talk to him once in a while he he wasn't the easiest coach I had, super demanding. We had a couple battles. But just like you said, I, I just love I love when coaches are direct, right? I like when you know where you stand. I don't like mind games. I don't like sarcasm, condescending remarks. I, I like where I where I'm at. Am I not playing good enough? Tell me. Hey, you're not playing good enough. You have to play better. You're you know, you defensively you're not good enough. Offensively, you're not creating enough, right? Like I just love the honesty and Torts was super honest with me. And more than anything, he just loves compete.
0: So I, I like Torts. Well, you mentioned a couple battles. Do you have anything you can share there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think I shared this story before. I don't know. Like, well, We were playing a game in Anaheim, and he, he liked the fenceman to play three-on-twos a certain way. He liked them. He called it holding hands. So We liked them to be really, really tight and just let the guy go down the boards and take a shot and, and give the goalie that shot on three-on-twos. So we're in uh, Anaheim at the start of the season, end of the second period. There's a three-on-two. I tr- I think I have a tight enough gap I can step up on Perry. He puts it through me. It hits my skate, goes to the next guy, a bit of a lucky bounce. And then he goes backdoor through my partner, Hamus, for a tapping goal. So it's like, it's like a 2-1 goal. The game ends up being like 6-5, right? It's a meaningless goal. We go in between uh, intermissions in Anaheim, and – Remember, the coach's room used to be like right behind the dressing room, like attached. And yeah. the whole, um, for 10 minutes, all we can hear is Taurus yelling and screaming, like, this effing guy, like just screaming, right? So I remember him sitting in the room and, and nobody really knows what he's yelling at. And I said to him, I like, go, I think he's mad at me. And he goes, No, I think he's mad at me. And then Edler's like, I think he's mad at me, guys. <laughs> like, nobody knew exactly who he was mad at. And then he comes in the room and his whole speech before we went out for the second was how I'm, I'm selfish or I made a stupid play and I'm selfish and I don't, and something along those lines, but it was definitely directed at me. Right. So fast forward, we had a, we had a day off uh, the next day and I go home and I kind of divulge everything to my wife. And, and I go in two days later when we go back to the rink, I said, I got to talk to you and I worked myself up and I had like a planned speech. And I go in there and I say, listen, like, I'm not a first-rounder. Like, I've worked my way to get here. I've earned every right. I'm a good teammate. You know, I made a bad read, but this doesn't make me sad. Anyways, we hash it out, and he calls a team meeting then. He brings everyone into the room. He goes, this guy came into my office. He yelled at me. I yelled back. I respect this guy. And then from there on, like, awesome, awesome relationship. But we had to really have a little bit of an FU battle before – we figured it out so he knew where I came from I knew where he came from and everything was great after
2: that Uh, Kevin I know you've been very gracious with your time but before we let you go we do have to ask you about this current iteration of the Vancouver Canucks and similarly to when you and Aldi and Cass and sorry uh, yeah Cass and Burroughs and all these guys came together throughout the same period of time a lot of these young Canucks players are coming up together whether it's uh, you know, Besser with Horvat, with Hughes and Pedersen and these guys. How valuable is it for team chemistry to have some of the most important core players kind of graduate at the same time?
1: Well, it's a good start for sure. And that's the way it was when I came to Vancouver. We had a nice core group that came up together and we grew up together. We we had kids at the same time and we were really tight off the ice and, and that always makes a team closer on the ice. So this core has been, uh, you know, it's been assembled and within the last probably two, three years and I'm not sure what they have down the pipeline for prospects, but it's it's a pretty nice looking core right now. That's that's young and it's gonna get a chance to play together for probably the next six years, I think, is usually the window that you get with a group before you kind of give up on them. So that's huge. They just have to they have to get used to winning and they have to build a culture where they just expect to win games and expect to win those tight games and, and develop a little bit of a swagger. Like ours was like a you know like a four or five year process before we got to 2010 2011 when we were one of the best teams in the world then and then you know it's a swagger that develops over time but you gotta you gotta have success to get that swagger so these guys now they got the familiarity with each other there's some highly skilled guys in good positions and they got to put some wins together and and make the playoffs is probably the first step because it's been five years right they're due everybody knows they're due in that city to make the playoffs again and get their feet wet, and then hopefully next year is a year that they can push far in the playoffs, right, and make that splash.
2: Well, we're certainly hoping so covering this team here in Vancouver. Uh, he is Kevin Biexa. Make sure to listen to the Kess and Juice podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We always appreciate your time, Kevin. Thanks so much.
0: Pleasure's all mine, guys. Good talking. Yeah, thanks. Let me know when I can join you guys. <laughs> I'll be right on the phone.
2: Okay,
1: we'll talk about how you made up the nickname Juice then.
0: I, it wasn't <laughs> me. I will, I will take that to my grave. It was not me. Actually, you know what? Since you brought that up. Um, you talk about names, is that the only way you could get Kess to do it? Give him top billing.
1: <laughs> you gotta fluff Kess, you know that, right? <laughs> You gotta treat him like treat him like gold, and then that's then he'll he do whatever you want as long as he's treated like gold.
0: All right. There it is. Treat Kess like gold. <laughs> okay, boys. Talk Thanks, to buddy. You. Okay.
2: Thanks for listening to the Canucks Pod, Satyar Shah with Alex Ald on sportsnet.ca and on your podcast. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Aldi will be back from Italy and we'll have lots to get into. And make sure to rate, subscribe, and review right here on Sportsnet 650.
0: I think I may actually miss her.
2: The fair Phyllis. I know this is going to be difficult for you, but I'll try to console you.
1: I've forgotten her already. (laughs) Uh <laughs>